0: Thank you, Bill and Pat. Uh, Please open your Bibles with me, please, now to uh, Galatians chapter 2. As we continue on here, we remember have seen Paul as he's been urging the believers in the Galatian region, the churches that that are there, not to abandon the true gospel that he has preached to them for an imitation gospel or a false gospel gospel, if, if you can call it a gospel, since that means good news. If it's truly good news, it can't be another gospel, because there's only one. It can't be a false gospel, because if something's false, it's not good. And so he's been emphasizing to them that what they received was truly uh, legitimate and valid. First of all, he talks about how he himself independently received this good news from Jesus himself. Uh, He didn't go to Jerusalem to get his information from the other apostles, but Jesus taught it to him directly. And then he didn't even spend time really with the apostles other than than a brief visit to Jerusalem in those early years. And then to... uh, even give them more confidence, he said, when I did go to Jerusalem, and when he did sit down and say, here's the gospel, here's, here is what I've been preaching, it matched up perfectly with what the other apostles were teaching, what the other apostles said was true. And so to give them full confidence, he said, that's how, how Jesus worked it out, that he gave us exactly the same message. And in fact, to show that, those those key apostles and church leaders in Jerusalem, he said, gave Barnabas and I the right hand of fellowship in taking the gospel out to the world. And so they basically said, no, you're full partners with us in spreading the gospel and taking the good news everywhere. And so he is an apostle on the same level with Peter and all of the others. But not only is he an apostle on the same level with them as far as authority and, and be, having been given the truth from God? But now he's going to tell them in verses 11 through 21 about an incident where he actually had to correct Peter. And so as a fellow apostle, he had to say, Peter, what you're doing isn't right. And so if you follow along with me as I read verses 11 through <clears throat> But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in an hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So he starts off with, the, with another uh, personal experience, which is kind of, this is one of the unusual things about the, the letter to the Galatians is that Paul uses uh, so many different personal experiences to, to make his point. And, and he's here in this final point to show that he is in fact an apostle sent by Jesus himself. He talks about having corrected, as as he calls him here, Cephas, but uh, he's known to us more more the time by the name Jesus gave him, Peter. But he, he came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face, and he stood condemned. For prior to coming, for the coming of certain men to James, he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw himself, holding himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Here we have Peter demonstrating that he is still in the process of being changed into the image of Christ, still in need of help. Uh, He had been living in the freedom that that he'd first understood in the household of Cornelius. Uh, If you remember from Acts chapter 10, when, when God sent him there, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, Remember, he, he was sent there and God had to work really hard to get him to understand that it was okay for him to go into a, a Gentile's home to begin with, but then to, to go and be with them and eat with them and fellowship with them, uh, God put, put Peter through the, the, the steps, you could say. And now the fear of man impacts this bold servant of Jesus, this one who, I mean, he's been arrested under the threat of death. Uh, Before that, he was beaten uh, and and jailed on a couple of different occasions. Uh, He stepped out and spoken in public where he knew that his message was not going to be received well, at least by certain people. It's interesting now, the appearance of a group of people in Antioch that had come from Jerusalem We have Peter doing things that he shouldn't do. Why? Because he fears them. He's afraid of these Jewish people who had associated themselves with the church in Jerusalem because of what they might think if he was eating with Gentiles. I think that ought to be a big warning to us, don't you think? I mean, we're all all vulnerable in certain areas to fear, and especially the fear of man. We don't fear all fear the same people. But there are certain groups of people that can really shake us up. Uh, in this case, you know, Peter, you know, he, he did go to Cornelius, but that was outside of Jerusalem. And, and then he came back and he defended the fact that he went into a Gentile's house and fellowshiped with them and he explained how the, the gospel had come to them and they received the Spirit. But then after that, it seems as though he's mostly just been around Jews Again. And of course in Jerusalem there's probably a greater number of of new believers or at least people associating with the church that are struggling with this whole thing of what do we do with the law? We are Jews. We can't just lay aside the law. And so these people who come from Jerusalem really bring out this fear in Peter because he did grow up knowing the law, living according to the law. You know, he said in Acts chapter 10, I've never in eaten anything unclean. And it might have been too, because he was from Galilee, right? Galilee in the north. The people from Jerusalem, Judea, they can look down on the people from the north, from Galilee of the Gentiles. And so this group coming from Jerusalem, although Peter had spent an awful lot of time down there over the, the previous years, there's pressure. These Jerusalem Jews, what are they thinking about me eating with Gentiles like this? What are they going to say when they go back to Jerusalem? And he'd gotten really used to doing that. He'd had a pattern while being in Antioch of of eating with Gentile believers, according to what Paul tells us here in Galatians. It had become normal. Outside of, outside of Jerusalem, there wasn't this, this external pressure to conform. But when they show up, it seems like Paul didn't just drop interactions with the Gentiles altogether. But, but as it goes on here, it talks about how he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. And the language and even some of the, uh, the tenses and things in Greek indicate that, that it wasn't like, boom, he just stopped talking to gentiles or eating with them but it became clear that he was not comfortable anymore he was kind of looking over his shoulder and then after a while maybe he he gave excuses for not eating maybe a meal with a group of gentiles and after a while he put up barriers i don't think i don't think it was it was verbal barriers i don't think from from what Paul says here, that Peter ever said, Jews should not eat with Gentiles. I don't think Peter ever said Gentiles should follow the law. But with his actions, he said that. It was really more of his his manner, his, his lack of welcome in the way that he acted toward them, that was telling the Gentile believers, Peter's not happy with us. Peter really wishes we would, we would do things like Jews do. Peter's a little annoyed, or Peter's kind of concerned that we don't do that like he does. And Paul, as he watches this, understands over, over a period of time that there's something has to be done. And Paul has to correct a fellow apostle. Um, Later on, Paul will write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 about how to correct an elder. And so this is really kind of the closest we have to the idea of a a fellow apostle correcting another one. But 1 Timothy 5, verses 19 and 20, it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. Uh, and there's two things here. The first part is, is, is use caution when rebuking a, a leader in the church. Uh, make sure that what it is you're, you're bringing up is valid. And, and we see that, that Paul watched Peter for some time, it seems like. It doesn't seem like the first time he saw something that didn't look quite right, he, he, he called, you know, Peter on the carpet. But he watched and he saw this, this pattern developing and he saw divisions starting to happen in the church. But notice he also corrected him publicly because the damage was being done publicly because of Peter's position. Peter, as, as an apostle, I think functioning as an elder in, in the church, was causing people to stop and change the way they were believing. Not because he was teaching it in words, not because he was was preaching it, but because he was living it. And so Paul realized he needed to do the correction in the same way that the problem was happening in public. Because people were seeing it publicly in Peter. In fact, a few chapters later in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, we understand that, that Paul wasn't doing this because... He enjoyed, you know, bringing somebody else down. He wasn't doing this, you know, to prove that, yeah, I'm an apostle and I can rebuke. No. Uh, he'll, he'll talk to the Galatians about how to deal with someone when you find that they're sinning. And he says, There, brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to you, to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. And so the fact that Paul is is going to Peter and and he's, he's rebuking him publicly, but I don't think his tone was angry. I don't think his tone was sharp. I think he was gentle, but I think he was firm because it was very important that they get this right. But Paul also, since he understood that he could fall in the same way, right? From what he wrote in just a few chapters later. You, you could fall into sin yourself, so keep that in mind. Be gentle when you correct. So Paul isn't enjoying this, putting himself above, above Peter. He's simply doing what is necessary for the sake of everyone, in, including Peter. This is for his good. Because really what Peter was doing was Peter was teaching something false by example rather than by words. If you see verse 13, there he says, For the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Peter, as a leader, his actions are noticed. And the other Jews who are there are looking to him t- to lead the way in the way that he, he does what he does. And they start to do what he's doing. Say, well, well Peter doesn't seem to be comfortable eating with the Gentiles. Uh, Peter doesn't seem to be comfortable eating the food that the Gentiles are eating. Uh, Peter doesn't, I don't think he's, he, he really wants us to mix in with these people who have believed in Jesus. And so there's a silent division now growing within the church in Antioch. Uh, the pressure grows to the point that even Barnabas goes along with it. Barnabas, who you know, had been you know, Paul's partner in taking the gospel to the churches in Galatia, got pulled away because Peter had been his leader in Jerusalem prior to working with Paul. Peter had probably taught him a lot about Jesus and how to follow him and how to know him. And so as he watches, he, even Barnabas, this, this great missionary leader, goes along. To the fact, really, that when, when uh, Paul uh, begins to speak a little further down, he actually says at the end of verse 14, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, there's no indication here that, that Peter told the Gentiles to live like Jews but his actions had such an impact. And his example, the force of his personality gave the impression that that's what they had to do. And it's a frightening part of being a leader or even being someone who has an impact that people are watching, people see what you do. It's not just what you say, but it's how you act and how you talk and, and the impression you give by your manner. And people watch and pick up on what comes out really about what you really believe through your actions. Ever thought about that, that we have, you know, we have our doctrinal statement or we have our things, you know, here, here's the things we believe. And not that that's untrue, but what comes out in our lives is maybe a truer indication of what we really believe? Because what we believe, faith works out into actions. And that's what the, what, where the, the, the struggle is of the Christian life, right? Because God is in, taking us through a process, right? He gives us the truth. It's here. We, we, we accept it mentally, but working it out into everyday life sometimes takes some time. And that's why Paul, I think, is having some grace with Peter here as well. I think he's graciously confronting him, but confronting him because he's got some bad teaching in his practice. Doesn't go along with what he says he believes, but it's dangerous because Peter really is not only just a leader, but an apostle. I and mean, even something of a really, I think, a leader amongst the apostles, though not infallible. And I will make that point very clear. Some groups would say Peter and what he teaches, what he says, were, were infallible. We can see very clearly here Peter was still a sinner and got off, could get off just like the rest of us. Paul had to guard himself so that he would not do that, right? Now, God still used them to write Scripture, which is infallible, right? There's the miracle of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing that writing of Scripture. Okay, But wow, what, what a... A thing it is to, to live and to grow and then to lead others. To the point where Paul said to Peter, why are you compelling Gentiles to live like Jews? And it all came from the fact that Peter was, Peter was acting that way. And so as, as he confronts Peter, he begins actually, we kind of jump a little bit at the end of this from Paul's uh, autobiographical uh, talk, to his teaching, but it, it kind of blends. We're not even sure where, where he stops talking to Peter and where he just starts teaching uh, the, the Galatians. But I think really the, the whole rest of this chapter is, is, is a chapter because it, it all fits together. So he may have actually said everything in, in the last part of this chapter to Peter. But he wants to get the idea across to everyone clearly, including now as he's relating it to the Gentiles, that justification is through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Only trusting in Jesus. And so he starts off by talking to Peter about, uh, as a fellow Jew. He says in verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. But What he means by that is, is we were born Jewish into Jewish families that believed in the Old Testament scriptures, believed in the law given through Moses, and we, li- we grew up in a families and in a society that emphasized right and wrong, doing what you ought to do. You and I, Peter, he says, we had great benefit. We grew up, you could say, with good people in a good place, in a good nation. Look at what great advantage we have. But then he continues on from there in verse 16. He says, nevertheless. That's an important one, especially if you grew up going to church, you grew up in a Christian family, you grew up knowing what the Bible says, you grew up being a good person. The nevertheless is there for you. Paul grew up in one kind of a family where he was, they were very a lot more intellectual, more scholarly. Peter grew up in a working class family where they were fishermen. But both ways, they, they believed God and they had his word and they, they were good people, you could say, in the, in the generic sense of the word, not in God's meaning of that. But nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, so here's what they know. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by what good people we are? No. We may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul says, remember, it wasn't enough for us, Peter, to be good Jews in the, the sense that our culture thought of us as good. Peter, it wasn't enough for us to have kept the law a lot of the time. We came to an understanding from Jesus that we were sinners condemned for our sin. And the only possible way of being saved is through faith in Christ Jesus. You notice how many times he repeats that in that one verse? And at the same time, he also repudiates the idea that anybody could be made righteous by the law. Three times each. Just boom, boom, boom. If you don't get the message, memorize verse 16. Repeat it to yourself every day. The only way to be justified, in other words, made right as a sinner before God, By putting your faith in Jesus. The only way. There is nothing you can do. You can't follow the Mosaic law and be justified. now it will condemn you. You can't even follow your own made-up system of law without failing it. You will fail at your own moral system. It will condemn you. The only way for salvation is to confess that you're a sinner receive that free gift from Jesus. So only justification through faith in Christ Jesus. So there's there's the beginning. He's laid the groundwork, right? Here's where we came from, Peter. We discovered we had to be saved by putting our faith in Jesus. No one, anyone, no flesh will be saved by keeping the law. We, We discovered that, right, Peter? And he continues in verse 17 then. And he throws a question at Peter here. He says, but, if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we've decided, we put our faith in Jesus, that's what will make us right with God. We ourselves have also been found sinners. What's he talking about? Well, he's pointing at Peter's, by his actions, saying, you need to keep the law. You need to live as Jews under the Mosaic law, or you are a sinner. That's what Peter's been saying by his actions. So he says to Peter, if we're sinners because we're not following the law, is Christ then a minister of sin? Because why did we say we were no longer under the law? Well, it came from Jesus. It came from Jesus. So, so Paul's saying... Let's think this through, Peter. If you're saying these Gentiles are sinners because they're not under the law, then you're claiming Jesus is leading people into sin because Jesus said the day of the law was over. Look at what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verses 14 through 19. Or I'm sorry, Mark 7. Mark 7, 14 through 19. after this he called the crowd to him again and began saying to them listen to me all of you and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man if anyone has ears let him hear ears to hear let him hear but when he had left the crowd and entered the house his disciples questioned him about the parable and he said to them are you so lacking in understanding also do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus, he declared all foods clean, and he was saying that which proceeds from the man. From the man, that is what defiles the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covetous, coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. See, Jesus declared all foods clean. He'd already started that process. it's not about what you eat that makes you right before God. In fact, um, if, if you think back about Acts chapter 10 and 11, we don't have time to go through and read that, but uh, in Acts chapter 10, that's where God gives Paul a vision. I'm sorry, Peter a vision. And says, remember you lowered the sheet down, it had all these animals in it, right? And Jesus says to him, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, no, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And, and, and he has answered, what I have made clean, don't call unclean. Now the main point of that wasn't so much the food, although that was the point. But it was the people that he was sending him to. People who ate all kinds of different food. He saying, you go with these men who have, will take you to Cornelius. And you go and you fellowship with them. And basically you eat what's put in front of you when you share together with them. Because this is not about you earning salvation. This is about you having believed in me, food. He's declared as Jesus did earlier. I believe this is Jesus speaking to Peter. It's all clean. And Peter struggled with that, right? He kind of argued back with Jesus a little bit. But then he finally went. right? If that was Jesus' message to Peter... And now Peter is saying, no, Gentiles need to keep the law. Gentiles need to eat only clean food. Gentiles need to be circumcised. The implication is that Jesus is leading people into sin. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a strong thing to say, isn't it? Paul is saying to Peter, You acting like that is saying that Jesus is causing people to sin. Wow. Paul doesn't tell us how Peter reacted. I've got a feeling he may have reacted similarly to when Jesus looked at him after he had denied him three times with a broken heart. Then it says he went out and wept bitterly. I can't, I'm certain that Peter repented changed what he was doing and began to fellowship with the Gentiles again and probably very vocally renounced the way he he was coming across here. But Paul continues on with what he was saying. Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, Peter, do you want me to do what you're doing and raise up the law again for all people in the church? Well, if I do that, you know the only thing it's going to do for me, it's going to prove me to be a lawbreaker. That's not what that last word means, transgressor. Lift up a law, guess what? It's just going to condemn you. But by believing in Christ, we were removed from being condemned. We were taken out of that. So why would I rebuild that? As he says at the beginning of verse 17, or at the end of verse 17, may it never be. May it never be. Because that would just make me a man headed for death again. But verses 19 through 21, Paul makes clear here, that's what we've gotten out of. That's what we have escaped in Christ. He says, for I have been crucified. I'm sorry, back to verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law just said, you're a sinner, you deserve death. Paul is saying, so I died. The law's penalty has been carried out, well, not on me, but on Jesus on my behalf. But he goes on to say, I have been crucified with Christ because I have entrusted myself to him. His death is my death now. I dwell in him, he dwells in me, therefore... The law which said I should die, the death's been paid. I'm out from under the penalty, but I'm also out from under the law itself. And so, as far as the law is concerned, I am dead. Verse verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. So if you're dead, the law has no more jurisdiction over you. It can't direct you in anything anymore. It served its purpose of pointing out your sin. But now, he says, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's not just that I died, but because Christ is united with me, his life is mine. Christ lives in me. There's nothing to be condemned in his life, is there? His life, which if the law is going to look at me, it only sees his life. It only sees his record. It only sees who he is. But since I'm dead, it doesn't matter. The law has no claim on me, but now how do I live? Well, I live by faith or trusting the Son of God who gave himself up for me. I live out of my relationship with my life giver. Not out of Obedience to an external law. Though that law did point out what was good and right, my basis for living is now totally changed. I now live by trusting the one who gave himself up for me and now lives his life in me and then through me. So I can live the kind of life that is truly good by trusting him. Going where he directs me understanding things as he says they truly are. That's the ultimate motivation and ideal environment for living the best kind of life. In fact, then he finishes up with a very, another very strong statement. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In other words, if if a person can become or be declared righteous in record or righteous in act by means of the law, Jesus didn't have to die. And he shouldn't have. Unless we were hopelessly lost without him, Jesus should not have given up all the glories and honor and power that were rightfully his from eternity past and come and born our sins, in our place. He should have just said, try harder, keep the law better, and eventually you'll be saved. You'll be justified before God. But he didn't do that, did he? Because we could not. He who breaks one part of the law is guilty of all, right? That's our status. We were completely without hope, therefore Jesus did come and die. But if you're going to teach that people can be made right by God by keeping the law, you're basically saying Jesus came and died for nothing. It was a waste of his time. It accomplished nothing. He did it needlessly, is the way Paul put it. But it's crystal clear in the scripture. There is none righteous, not even one. So salvation is only By putting your faith in Christ Jesus, entrusting yourself to him, receiving his free gift, plus nothing else. Paul set the record straight here through sharing his personal experiences. And he's begun to help us, as he talked to the Galatians, to recognize that if, if we impose any law on the gospel, we undermine everything that Jesus has done. To be saved, we must be completely relying on what Jesus did, on only on what Jesus did, and none of our own good actions. So continuing to to rely on him completely, he'll then change our thoughts, our words, and our actions, but from within. Not through imposing an external law, but within our hearts, as he dwells in us, he changes us. In our in our thoughts, our words, our actions, into what is truly good. What a beautiful thing. What a freeing thing that is when we, we get a hold of it. and trust in Him alone. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are so thankful that we have been freed from the law, that it accomplished its purpose, and now we can live trusting you, trusting Jesus by his word to, to direct us, to, to to help us know how to live a life having been justified that then glorifies you. Father, I thank you that it, it, it's also about we, about us doing it together, about us doing it using your word, about us being directed by your Holy Spirit. Uh, there, there's so much good and, and exciting about that, and, and I do pray that you Help us on, on that journey as as we build each other up and, and even as sometimes has to happen with like Paul did with Peter, as we correct one another and gently restore each other. Um, help us to just not lose sight of your grace. Uh, that's what we need above all else. Thank you for that. Please keep reminding us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.